Hey guys, Pastor Kent here. I'm excited about this next podcast because we're going to be talking about something close to my heart, and that's classical Christian education. And I hope you'll join us because it should help you understand and create in your mind and heart a great taste and discomfort with your kids' present education and an eagerness to get them into classical Christian, which you'll find out is probably the finest way to train up a young child in the ways of God. Hey gang, Pastor Kent here. I'm excited to be with you today. I get to talk about something I think is really pretty cool, and that is classical Christian education. And I want to tie it into what our church is about as part of it, and also a different part about for all Christians and people interested in educating their children. So I'm going to begin by talking about our church, and I always ask the question, why does Beach Cities Community Church exist? And the answer to that is to help people find Christ and grow spiritually, emotionally, and relationally. And the way we do that is by sharing our faith, because if you don't understand your faith, you can't defend your faith, you're not going to be very good at sharing your faith. So that's part of the biblical content you have to actually grow in. And then secondly, by uh, strengthening our families, because the family unit is the essential hub of all socialization and all of community. And if your, if your family isn't doing well, we really don't want to export it into the people's lives that we're trying to lead to faith in Christ. We're trying to give them an example of what the Christian family should look like in the broader picture. And it all starts with a microcosm of the local family. And then third is by celebrating and securing our God in trusted freedoms. God has entrusted us with freedom. Liberty is God's idea. The Bible talks about where the spirit of the Lord is. There is liberty. God wants us to experience liberty. The problem is the enemy known as Satan and the evil one is always trafficking in tyranny. And he's always trying to take our liberty from us. So our job as a Christian family who wants to uphold our Christian values and propagate the gospel, we have to be able to protect and celebrate our freedoms, our liberty that's given to us in Christ. And if we do that, then we're able to do the other parts of the mission statement. So that's the basic uh, outline of what we believe in terms of a church and our mission. I also think it's a biblical mission that applies every day, every church out there. This is a legitimate Bible-believing church, and they just use different words, but essentially it boils down to the same thing. Then that moves me into, well, how do we know if we're successful? And the answer to that question is pretty straightforward. People are finding Christ and they're growing. They're sharing their faith, their families are strengthened, and they're enjoying and celebrating and protecting their liberties and the culture in which they find themselves. That's the measuring stick. So that moves us into the next question, which is why then did we start a classical Christian education wing a ministry here at Beach Cities Community Church? And the answer is to fulfill our church's mission statement to strengthen the family. We want to have strong families, and part of that is raising children who know, love, and obey God from the heart. They're excited about that, the God who has revealed himself in the Bible. And because it is the responsibility of parents it's their job to educate their children. If you look in the Bible, it says that the fathers are to, not to exasperate their children, but to train them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, Ephesians chapter 6. Now, interesting, that, that little phrase, nurture and admonition of the Lord is paideia. 
It's a Greek word. We're going to come back to that. It's a very important concept. And then there's other places, even in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 6, it tells us as a family we are supposed to make God's name known in our family, that we are supposed to uh, have the commandments of God written on our doorposts, put on plaques, reminders all around the house, so that when we're going in or we're going out, we're going to be talking about God and his place in our life, and not just God in a general sense, but Yahweh, the true God of Israel, the God that we worship the God of the Christians and the God of the Jews, the God of the Bible. And so it's important that we do those things, and that's why we are excited as a ministry of our church to have a classical Christian education wing of our ministry. Now, how do we know that we are actually successful at doing that? Because the mission of our homeschool ministry, which is classical Christian, is to partner with parents to help followers and learners find Christ and grow, uh, through our program that cultivates self-responsible, action-oriented leaders who value truth, goodness, and beauty through classical Christian education. Now, I had to read that because I haven't memorized it like I have the other one yet. And our teachers are working on memorizing it as well, by the way, because that's a mouthful. But that's it. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to create an educational program in our church that will partnership with parents. And that's the key. The role of the ministry is to partnership with the parents. The role of the parents is to do the training themselves. We're here to help in every way. And it's the same thing with our family ministries on weekend services and the programs we have throughout the week that isn't part of the school but is part of the, the church program itself. Same thing. We can't we cannot make your kid behave like a Christian, but we can sure train you and train them in the proper way to go. And then that's your job primarily as a parent to do that. Uh, but we're here to help in every way that we possibly can. Just like I can preach the gospel to everybody sitting in the seat, but I can't follow them home, hold their hand and burp them every day saying, get your life back in order here. Uh, we have a community that helps with that, but ultimately you answer to God for that. That's the point. And so how do we know we're successful? It's because we're seeing our parents having success and raising their children who are finding Christ and growing and are taking on the virtues of the classical Christian education that we think are so, is so important. And so this means, and here's a key that I want us to understand, everybody in our program and anybody interested in a Christian, uh, classical Christian education for their children, it is this. It means that the primary role of every instructor in our program, whether it's our Sunday school program, our midweek program, or our school program, a ministry program, is discipleship. We are disciple makers of little children all the way up through adulthood. Every instructor is effectively then a minister of the gospel. That is their calling. That is your calling as parents, and that's the teacher's calling as instructors and in helping to coach the kids and coach the parents in raising kids who embrace the faith and share it and the way we talked about. So then why are we doing classical Christian education and homeschooling as opposed to just kind of Christian education? Well, we're doing homeschooling because according to the Bible, the responsibility of the education falls squarely on the parents' shoulders. And this is the best way we can possibly do it, is through homeschooling, especially in the state of California that is literally monthly taking away parental rights in the school system. It is astounding how quickly they're doing that. 
It also created a secondary benefit for us in California because we had the most brutal lockdowns and we also had the most brutal uh, requirement for vaccination for the students and also for mask wearing. But if you're a homeschool ministry, you don't have to submit to any of that. And so we're able to circumvent that. And so whenever enrollment dips, Newsom decides to you know, knuckle down on the local schools, and then we get more enrollment. So we thank the Lord for his, his defiance of God that benefits us. <laughs> what we pray for his soul, that he gets saved. I tell our congregation all the time, it would be better that he would repent openly, uh, swears allegiance to Christ and makes some modifications in his decisions. I uh, haven't seen much uh, movement in that direction yet, but I do pray for him. When I get really angry, I have to say, Lord, this anger is righteous, but it has to be exercised righteously, and so I'm going to pray for salvation and conversion. Nonetheless, I'm getting off track. Let's get back on track. Here it is. So what then is classical Christian education? And the key word is this word paideia, which in the original language comes from the root word of child. And the idea behind paideia is uh, the Greeks asked themselves this question, how can we raise a child? In other words, what is it that constitutes child rearing? What is the essence of raising a child? What is required? What is the end product we're shooting for? And what is the means for accomplishing that end product? That's really what this idea of paideia is all about. And whether you state your paideia in advance or you just kind of accidentally bumble into it, whatever the process is that you use, it's, you actually have a paideia. You may not even have identified it. But in classical Christian, you intentionally identify it up front, and it's called the paideia. And if you do this in a, on a kind of more deeper, this is going to be, by the way, a kind of a general overview, not a highly technical overview. Uh, if you do that, you'll find that there's the Western Christian paideia that began around the 900s to 1,000. It started the scholastic movement, and that's the Christian side. Before that, it started all the way to 400 B.C. in Greek, and then went into Rome, and then from Rome into early. Christian uh, authors and scholars, and then from there, the scholastic movement, from the scholastic to the Renaissance, from the Renaissance to the Reformation, from the Reformation to the Enlightenment, from the Enlightenment to the starting of America and its Western uh, Christian paideia, etc., etc. So that's more than enough headache in, in, in history for you right now. All right, so here's, the, here's my point. When the Greeks asked themselves this question, they came up with three ideas. In other words, you could call this, my terms, not theirs, but the three pillars of paideia from the uh, classical point of view. And you'll find, and this is interesting, the Greeks did this before Christ, but Jesus Christ's coming fulfills all three of these pillars. And the amazing thing is, in some literature, it's called proto-Christian. In other words, the first evidence of a Christian thought process. They literally wrote a curriculum or developed a curriculum, a way of raising children, a paideia that is 100% in harmony with the Christian faith. No other faith in the world, just the Christian faith. It's pretty amazing. And so I'll share with you the three component parts. The first one is called erite. And erite in the short, kind of shortcut version would be virtue. 
It's bigger than virtue, but it's virtue. And what I would say is when I talk about the word virtue, you're talking about moral attributes, but it's bigger than moral attributes. That's my point. It certainly includes that. But the Greeks felt if you're going to have a child that is grown into an adult, they have to have the necessary virtue. I'm going to change the word to character. They need to have well thought through and disciplined and trained character. And that's really what's behind this word erite. It carries the idea of a mature person being somebody that is attractive because of the goodness, truth, and beauty that they exude. And that is more than just moral excellence. It's also good manners. It's also appropriate thought processes and things like that. So erite, think of it primarily as virtue, but it's bigger than virtue. The second one is logos. Most people pronounce it logos, and I'll give you an anglicized version, logos. That's actually not how it's pronounced in the original language. It's logos. But nonetheless, that is translated, and it refers to rationality or reason, the ability to think intelligently and clearly, or sometimes it's translated logic. The amazing thing about it, oh, I'll get back to it later about the amazing thing. This is the cool part. The Greeks believed that there is, uh, as a result of Plato and the Socrates and others, but had believed that there is only one true God, even in the midst of the uh, polytheism of the culture in those days. And they believed that everything you see is a reflection of the ultimate reality. It isn't the ultimate reality. It is a reflection of the ultimate reality. And logos is the means or the tools you use to understand and apprehend the ultimate reality, or if you like shorthand, the mind of the one true God. So you have to think rationally. You have to think logically. You have to think intelligently about uh, the way you apprehend reality around you, and if you do it correctly and you follow the right rules, it'll give you a greater understanding of the infinite, eternal mind of the infinite, eternal God. That's what's behind this idea of Lagos. Now, I said there's something amazing about it. I'll slip it in here now because it'll make better sense. This is John's point in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Lagos, the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And He became the light and the life of men. The whole idea is this, that God has the eternal, infinite mind. Jesus Christ is the enfleshment of the mind of God because he is God. And now you want to even the more amazing part? When you become a Christian, you are given the mind of Christ. In other words, you are now able to think God's thoughts after God. And on the previous one, virtue, guess what that, where that comes from? The Holy Spirit who lives in every believer when they become a Christian. And that leads to the third pillar. And the third pillar is called the telos, T-E-L-O-S, okay, telos. And the telos is the ultimate purpose. Because remember, they're asking themselves, what are we trying to produce through our child-rearing uh, educational process? And number one, it's people of excellent character. Number two, people who have the capacity to apprehend the reality as it really is, the lagos. And number three, they have an ultimate purpose for which they live. Now, the original Greeks said that that purpose should be a good citizen 
because if they're a good citizen and they're functioning in these ways, they'll be liberated from slavery and they won't have to live an enslaved life because they will have the tools necessary to rise above the slavery. The problem is, the problem is it becomes too individualistic. It ends up becoming translated or practically lived out as becoming the best version of yourself. Well, there's too many best versions of yourself to have any kind of cohesion. And so as a result, the Greek empire did eventually fail. But guess who picked it up? The Romans. And they said, you know, they've got some great ideas on this paideia. If we just make a couple of tweaks, we're going to be able to carry this forward in a really positive way. And we're going to we're going to steal their basic idea of paideia, and we're only going to change one thing, and that is the telos. So for the Greek, the telos is to be the best version of yourself. For the Roman, the, the telos is to be a person who is dedicated to the Senate or the state. And therefore, we are going to have a strong Roman Empire. Well, that was good. It worked for a long time, almost a thousand years. It lasted from 400 BC to about 400 AD. So that's about 800 years it lasted. Here's the problem, though. One of the things that it created was provincialism. In other words, as the state got bigger and larger, people became loyal not to the Senate located in Rome, but to their local jurisdiction, the local mayor or the local city council. And therefore, the provinces slowly began to split. It didn't have anything that could unify the nation. And so that became a problem, and that's why it, uh, Rome wasn't able to sustain it. But they gave us a lot of information on the paideia because guess what the Christian answer is to the question the ultimate purpose is? The ultimate purpose is the glory of God and the kingdom of God. It's not the kingdom of man. Our loyalty and our dedication is to God, his glory, and his coming kingdom. And that is the very core and the heart of classical Christian education. Now, with that in place, you say, how do we actually activate or implement those three pillars into the heart of a child? Because this is big picture what we're trying to do. How do we actually do it? And they have two mechanisms that they use. And these mechanisms are known first as the trivium. I don't even know how they pronounce it, but it's basically, say again? Trivium. trivium. There it is. It's trivium. And that is divided into three sections. The first section is grammar, the ability to articulate your thoughts, the ability to spell, to write, to memorize, to read, and to put your thoughts together in a coherent manner. And that is called grammar school. And they believe that takes you up through fourth to sixth grade. So from kindergarten all the way to fourth or sixth grade, wherever the student's appropriate there, he should be able to master grammar. From grammar, you move to stage two, which is, I have it here, logic. Remember reasoning, logos, logic? You have to be able to think intelligently, reasonably, logically, the ability to grasp the thoughts of God after God. That's the whole idea. And so that happens in the junior high years. You learn how to reason things out. You're building upon your grammar, and now you know how to reason. Once you're out of the junior high years, usually up through ninth grade, they, a lot of junior highs go up to ninth grade, some don't, but that's the basically the breaking point in classical Christian, you are now in high school. And high school has the third dimension, and that dimension is, what do I have here? Oh yeah, rhetoric. And that's the ability to take your logic and to take your grammar 
and write persuasive cases, the ability to persuade others. And you have to be able to do it intelligently because your whole life, to quote President Trump, is essentially being a salesman. You are selling your, do your ideas everywhere you go. I, I saw a, a reaction here that surprises me. Is there a problem with that? He's right. That's everything does boil down to that. You're selling your ideas in every relationship and every, everywhere you go. That's what you're trying to do. And anyways, rhetoric is the ability to persuade intelligently. And it usually includes three components. And that uh, is logos. It has to be logical. Pathos. It has to have passion. And uh, ethos. You have to actually live it yourself. You can't be a hypocrite. And so if you have those three dimensions, you'll be actually pretty persuasive in what you do. And that's part of the classical training that you learn in your rhetoric. And so you'll notice a lot of kids in rhetoric are involved in some kind of mute court or speech and debate or some other type of involvement because they have to be able to stand up and present their thoughts and ideas in a persuasive way. And so that is the essence of the methodology and the goals of classical Christian education. There is a third that goes beyond the trivium, the quadrivium, and that's called the gymnasium. And some forms of classical Christian education include that. And guess what that is? It's overall lifetime physical fitness, how to keep the mind and body in order. And the Stoics believed that if your, your, your mind was out of order, the first thing to do is get to the gymnasium and straighten out your body. And they were onto something because remember, your mind is housed in your brain and your brain is a part of your physical body. And so the better you can treat your brain, the higher is the likelihood you'll straighten out your thinking. And I found that to be true in my own discipleship with men and boys over the last 30 years. If you start there, you they have rapid acceleration in their Christian discipleship because their body is being in tune with the direction they're going and their brain has less poison in it so they can move forward. So those are the ways that classical Christian education is implemented. We are following here at Beach Cities the classical Christian style of instruction because it's the only methodology that keeps the entire process God-centered and consistent with Christian theology. And as a result, it has both outcomes and methodologies that are congruent. And this is a big deal to me because what you find out is you, if you know anything about church growth and development, that kids can grow up in church their whole life. And as soon as they graduate from high school and go away to college, they go ballistic and nuts. And the reason is because they've been raised in a secular educational methodology that is incongruent with their Christian faith. And so they learn to be in one environment and agree with everybody. That's school. And that's how many hours? That's 30 hours a week. Then one hour a week, they pretend that the world's completely different than that. It's spiritual and they act Christianly in that world. And so now they're living a hypocritical life. They don't really believe that the two are possible to integrate. They're not allowed to integrate it during their normal school day, which is 30 hours of their week. And they only have to fake it for one hour when they're around Christian friends on the weekend at church services. And that, uh, that sounds cynical, but that's really what's happening because their life is not integrated. It doesn't make sense to them. And they find out they get a whole lot more acceptance when they pal around with their friends 30 hours. They're going to take on that, tr those traits more than they're going to have the cap capacity to stand up for their Christian values. But if you teach them from day one, 
All truth is God's truth. And Jesus is Lord over every part of life, including your regular schooling and what you're doing on the weekend. It's all one whole piece and it has to be congruent. And you teach them from the very beginning, that's what it's about. That's the tremendous value of classical Christian education. The whole world is God-centered and Christ is Lord. And nothing in life is interpreted outside of that. So even the kid that gets around his secular friends knows immediately, yes, Jesus is Lord. Would the Lord Jesus have me doing this, stealing this, <laughs> this car as a joke? Uh, I don't think so. So they back out because they're fully integrated now. They go away to college. Hey, you want to do some drugs? Nope, not interested. Uh, so a couple of things that I want to draw your attention to. The first is this. Classical Christian education teaches the learner how to think as well and how to reason for themselves. Because we believe every human being is created in the image of God, and because he's created in the image of God, he has the capacity for moral reasoning and the ability to recognize and understand natural law, the things you see in nature. The Bible says that in Romans chapter 1. And as a result, the public school, however, they teach them what to think. They don't teach them how to think, how to reason, how to see the world in the context of the God who created it all. They deny the existence of God. They're told they're the, the byproduct of cosmic chance, that everything that exists is really has no rhyme or reason to it. It's simply, honestly, the byproduct of colliding atoms and molecules over a long process, process of time. And it's constantly evolving. And therefore, there's no absolute standards. There's no absolute truth. Everything is relative because it's always changing. And they, they can't get their arms around any of that. But if you're a classically Christian trained, you taught, no, there is a way to, a, a way to think. There is a way to reason. And it, it, there's only one correct way of doing that. And once you understand that and you learn those methods, you become expert at interpreting the world around you in a, in a congruent manner. And your life is a lot less stress and is much more, uh, uh, what would I say, fruitful and flourishing as God has intended for it to be. So that's the first reason I love the classical approach to education. The secondly is because classical Christian education roots the foundation of truth in the person and character of God. Remember, the Logos is Jesus Christ enfleshed. He is the mind of God enfleshed. He is part of the Trinity who's taken on human nature, and he is called the Logos in the Gospel of John because that's what he is. He is the the uh, physical incarnation of the essence of the spirit and mind of God. And Jesus even told the woman at the well in John chapter 4, God is spirit, and those who worship him worship in spirit and truth. And Jesus is the enfleshment of that spirit, the spirit of Yahweh. And so this is beautiful. He has revealed himself, therefore, in nature, in conscience, and in the Bible. That's what we're told. And so we can learn from nature, from our conscience, from the Bible, the truth about God, if we know how to reason correctly. And classical Christian education teaches you that, whereas the uh, secular education has no foundation for that. Public education denies the existence of absolute truth. And because of that, imp it implicitly denies the existence of God, who is the source of the truth, and therefore denies learners the opportunity to develop a moral core that can discern good from evil. And in fact, they have no capacity to define good or evil in their view if they're going to be consistent with their view. The best they can do is say, I prefer not that. I, I don't prefer that. 
That's the best you can come up with if there's no absolute truth. And the secular school system teaches them no absolute truth. It is simply a cultural construct created by those in positions of power to preserve their hegemony, which means a bunch of guys got together, started this thing called the United States, and they made a bunch of laws that would enshrine their power for in perpetuity. And that the goal of everybody today needs to tear that all down and build something new in its place. They never tell you what it is because they don't know what it is because they don't have any idea what it is because that's not how it started in the first place. But in their world system, basically, might makes right. Power is what the powerful want to happen. And they want to take the power for whoever has it, acquire it for themselves, and rule under their ty tyrannical dictates without any absolute truth. In other words, no way of knowing what they're doing is good or evil since they don't believe in an absolute authority of good and evil in the person of God. So they become tyrants. And this is what you see with every Marcus, Marxist regime around the world. And even before Marxism, you still had it in tyrannical regimes in ancient empires. It always goes that way until the family loses its power, gets knocked off by a new family, and now those are the new tyrants. And that's how it's always worked. It is only a classical Christian mindset that is able to lay that aside because it's rooted in the Judeo-Christian values that are founded in the scripture. And so that's the second main reason that I really like it. It keeps us from going down the slippery slope to uh, secular Marxism and that taking over our entire country, which is what we're seeing happening in the streets today, which is very sad. Number three, classical Christian education provides a comprehensive worldview of all things with God at the center and Jesus Christ as Lord over all. And when you have that and your child is taught that, when someone brings up a new theory about what to do, they can challenge that because why? They're thinking for themselves. They're not learning uh, the information just so that they can pass a test. They're learning how to think so that when they're given information that they've never even heard before, they can evaluate it according to the standards of truth that they've already inculcated and discovered for themselves. It's super, super, super valuable. This is why there's so much confusion amongst the youth today, because they've been taught what to believe. It makes no rhyme or reason. When you say, well, if you're a girl, you can be a boy. All you have to do is change some plumbing, and that's good enough. But if you don't want to go that far, you don't even have to do that. All you have to say is, today, I'm going to be a boy. And everyone's going to have to treat me as I'm a boy. It makes no sense. You can't prove it biologically. You can't prove it scientifically. You can't prove it even evolutionarily. There's, there's no way. It, but guess what? You're the final authority. Truth rests with what you think is true. It's, quote, my truth. And that makes it true. And it doesn't work. And this avoids that whole problem altogether. And then fourth, classical Christian education has the advantage over regular Christian education, which is normally modeled after the secular school system. They use the same methodologies of teaching. They just change the content. But the problem is the methodology is the same. It doesn't teach the kids how to think. It just teaches them what to think, and they regurgitate Christian doctrine, but they don't have the capacity to evaluate the truthfulness of the Christian doctrine and compare it to other things that they run into throughout life. They either have to blindly commit themselves to it without uh, reasoning for themselves, or 
and this is the common experience, even kids who grew up in good Christian homes, they abandon it short term so that they can go on a discovery to figure out what they actually really believe. And they have to go through a process of learning how to think for themselves and then gather the data for themselves and then have to weed through all of the, uh, what I would say is cultural lies on the internet, sorting out what is true truth versus what's made up by some person. And they're way behind the eight ball. And they're, they're five, 10 years out before they recover their Christian faith because they've never learned the skill sets necessary to think for themselves and, ra and reason rationally. They were just taught, you believe these things, you memorize these things, and you obey these things. And you know, that's okay for a two-year-old, but you've got to be able to reason for yourself. And that's why the classical Christian is superior. And then when you look at the outcomes, you'll find out that in every single measure, if you, and part of the, part of the classical Christian is you're going to learn Latin at least, and probably Greek also. And if you really got a great teacher, you'll even get some Hebrew in, so you can read your Bible in the original languages. But more important, if you learn Latin, studies have shown, so you go to a classical Christian school, you learn Latin, you score 150 points higher on the SAT than people who didn't take Latin. Right there is because our entire linguistic system is rooted in the Latin language, and many of the science ideas are in Latin terminology, and many of the languages are in Latin at its core. So Latin is a critical part of it. The second thing you find out is that families who participate in classical Christian education end up 91%, I think was what the stat was that I read this last week, 91% of those families have at least three times a week for 30 minutes or longer having conversations about God and how God is, re is uh, important to their personal life with their children. That is powerful over 91%. The other ones is something like 10, 15, 20%, depending on what type of education you got. They just don't talk about it because they're not trained to talk about it or think about it or interpret the life, uh, the world around you. So when your kid sees a bird, you go, wow, why do you think God made it that way? And immediately as a classical Christian, you're moving in the direction that you should be moving. After all, God created everything. Everything makes sense. Why would God make a bird like that? Let's talk about that. And you have easy access to conversation all the time. And there's other things I could talk about, but I don't want to brag about all that stuff. The most important part is you shape their heart to know and love God who has revealed himself in the Bible, in their conscience, and in nature, and it's all fully integrated 100%.